0: Welcome to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, December 6th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And
1: I'm Melissa Topshire with today's headlines. Liz Cheney considers running for U.S. president.
0: Israeli forces enter Khan unis.
1: Israel investigates claims that traders had prior knowledge of the Hamas attacks.
0: The U.K. reveals new measures for its biggest ever migration cut.
1: A whistleblower claims U.S. and U.K. military contractors sought global censorship.
0: Teen math and reading skills plummet in the U.S. and around the world.
1: A Nigerian military drone attack mistakenly kills 85 civilians.
0: Child pneumonia cases increase in Europe.
1: Cyclone Michong causes severe flooding in India.
0: And California-based DNA tester 23andMe says hackers access the data of 6.9 million people. In our
1: top story, Liz Cheney is considering a third-party presidential run. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, ABC News, The Daily Caller, Politico, and The Guardian. Former U.S. Representative Liz Cheney has told various media outlets that she is mulling a run for president in 2024 as a third-party candidate. The daughter of former U.S. Vice President Dick Cheney has been a vocal critic of former President Donald Trump. Trump is the current frontrunner for the Republican nomination. Cheney served as a top House Republican representing Wyoming, but lost favor in the GOP after she became one of the party's loudest anti-Trump voices. She helped run the House Select Committee that investigated the January 6, 2021 Capitol riots and lost her re-election bid in 2022 to Harriet Hagerman. The Washington Post reported on Tuesday that Cheney is considering a run for president and that she will do whatever it takes to prevent Trump from winning the presidency. She told the Washington Post in an interview that a second Trump administration could destroy America's democracy. She told the Post that she considered a third-party run in the past and will make a decision for 2024 in the next few months. Cheney could join a bipartisan ticket, but she said that she would not join a unity ticket brought by the No Labels Group if the ticket helped Trump's chances of winning. A Cheney ticket would join Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Cornel West among the field of third party candidates, and Cheney has said that she would focus on helping a Democratic candidate defeat Trump if she chooses not to run. Cheney is making the rounds, speaking to media outlets as she promotes her book, Oath and Honor, a memoir and a warning. Cheney maintains that she is still a conservative and a constitutionalist and believes that Trump is an existential threat to the GOP, the nation, and the entire
0: world. All right, thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have some narrative spins on this story. You may not be surprised. We have an anti-Trump narrative from NPR. Liz Cheney understands the existential threat that Donald Trump poses to American and global democracy and is committed to stopping him even if it means opposing her own party. Cheney is a rare breed in modern politics and a servant of the Constitution. While Cheney and her father certainly have committed their fair share of blunders in the past, the former representative is committed to saving American democracy. After the January 6, 2021 riots at the Capitol, American leaders had to pick a side, and Liz Cheney chose the side of democracy.
1: Here's the pro-Trump narrative from Red State. Liz Cheney is at best irrelevant, and at worst, she is a complicit war criminal in face of the wretched Washington establishment. Republican voters have rightfully abandoned Cheney and her neocon policies, so she has resorted to defaming former President Trump on liberal media outlets. Cheney has been lying about Trump and insulting his supporters for nearly three years. The left ironically despises her for her support of endless wars, and the right, has rejected her for being a feature of swampish beltway politics. Any campaign bid she makes is certain to fall flat.
0: And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives brought to us by the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there's a 46% chance that Donald Trump will be elected president of the United States in 2024. Israel forces enter Khan Yunis in the southern Gaza Strip. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, The Guardian, Financial Times, UN News, and BBC News. Israeli forces have advanced deeper into urban regions of the southern Gaza Strip on Tuesday, with Israeli tanks being reported in the eastern outskirts of Khan Yunis after advancing west from the border fence. Israel dropped leaflets calling for residents of six eastern and northern districts around a quarter of the city to stay inside shelters during the assault. Reporters on the ground in Khan Yunis reported non stop heavy artillery shelling, relentless airstrikes, and mass bombardment of the area throughout the night. In the north of the strip, the Israeli military said it had encircled the Jabalia refugee camp near Gaza City. Regarding civilian casualties, Israel has repeatedly defended its military actions. Israel has issued maps detailing evacuation routes. But critics say that areas to which civilians have been told to flee have also been attacked and there is no clear place for civilians to find safety. Though the UN reported that some aid is still entering the Gaza Strip even after the end of last week's temporary truce between Israel and Hamas, humanitarian access to the north of the Strip is now entirely blocked. The UN now believes that around 1.8 million Palestinians are in the north of the Strip, after a mass migration of civilians fled from the north due to Israeli bombardment. On the Lebanese border, the Lebanese army reported that one of its soldiers was killed and three wounded in Israeli shelling, the first Israeli attack to kill a Lebanese soldier. Over 100 people in South Lebanon have been killed in hostilities between Israel and Hezbollah, including 80 Hezbollah fighters. Tens of thousands of people have been displaced from both sides of the border. Gaza's health ministry reports that the conflict has left almost 16,000 people, including over 6,000 children, in the Gaza Strip dead. The official Israeli death toll stands at 1,200 people, and there are over 100 hostages being held in the Gaza Strip.
1: Thank you, Scott, for those facts. And we'll start with a pro-Israel narrative from the Jerusalem Post. Though this has been a tragic war, Israel cannot allow Hamas to survive. Hamas seized upon last week's temporary pause to mark Israeli positions and prepare itself for continued attacks on Israeli forces in Gaza. Indeed, the pace at which Israeli forces maneuvered in Gaza threw Hamas's military leadership off kilter. And Israel will have to work intelligently in its campaign in the south of the Strip to fully eliminate the terrorist group so it can never launch an attack like October
0: 7th again. And Middle East Eye brings us the pro-Palestine narrative. Israel continues to demonstrate that its war is not against Hamas, but against the Palestinian people as a whole. Nowhere in Gaza is safe, and Israel has effectively rendered the north of the strip unlivable. Unfortunately, the temporary ceasefire only gave civilians a few days of relative rest, and now Israel has returned to killing Palestinians at an unprecedented rate. The U.S., Israel's biggest ally, must exert more pressure to end the war.
1: Here's another nerd narrative from the Metaculous Prediction community saying there's a 50% chance that Israel will lift the blockade on electricity, food, gasoline, and medicine in Gaza by February 2024. Israel investigates claims of short-selling before Hamas attacks. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, CBS, The New York Post, Fox News, The Telegraph, and Reuters. Israel is investigating a report by prominent U.S. researchers that claims investors might have been aware of Hamas's planned attack on October 7 in advance and used that information to profit millions of dollars by short-selling Israeli stocks. Law professors Robert Jackson Jr. of New York University and Joshua Mitz of Columbia University published the report Monday, which analyzed financial transactions leading up to the attack noting a large number of investors shorting Israeli shares and profiting millions. Shorting is when an investor borrows a security expecting it to fall, sells it, and then buys it back, netting the difference. The 67-page paper cited an unidentified trader who reportedly profited nearly $900 million after short-selling 4.43 million shares of Lumi, Israel's largest bank, between September 15th and October 5th. It also noted transactions on the Enterprise Investment Scheme, or EIS, a security traded on the New York Stock Exchange, that gives investors exposure to Israeli exchange-traded funds. On October 2nd, 227,000 short transactions were made against the EIS exchange. A high volume that they wrote was extremely unlikely to occur by chance. Five days after the attack, the value of EIS fell by 7.1%. It's unclear if Hamas or its funders were behind the short sales, but news outlets have said that it's not implausible. The authors said the unusually high volume of transactions was even more peculiar since it came during the Jewish holiday of Sakat, a time that is usually quiet in both news events and financial activity. They noted a similar pattern around Passover in early April when Hamas reportedly had planned a similar attack that was called off at the last minute. The Tel Aviv Stock Exchange on Tuesday called the report inaccurate and argued its publishing was irresponsible, saying the authors miscalculated the number of shares being sold since sale prices are listed in Agarot, which are similar to cents rather than shekels. TASE estimates the Lumi short sale netted 32 million shekels, $8.59 million in profits, not 3.2 billion shekels, $859 million. The report has since been corrected.
0: Thanks, Melissa. The Blaze brings us Narrative A. The overwhelming data analysis presented by two premier academics shows that investors likely knew about the terror organization's brutal attack on Israel and used that information to profit off of the tragedy. It's not a coincidence to see an exponential increase in trading that bet against the Israeli economy right before the narrative B comes from Globes. The
1: American professors who published this report acted completely irresponsibly and committed clear errors in their analysis. While trying to analyze the pattern of trading in the lead-up to October 7, these so-called brilliant scholars did not pay attention to the denomination of currency used on the trading exchanges and confused agorot with shekels. 100 agorot equals 1 shekel, financial knowledge one should learn about before publishing speculative and defamatory reports like this one.
0: The UK reveals new measures for its biggest-ever migration cut. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by BBC News, Sky News, iNews, ITV and The Evening Standard. UK Home Secretary James Cleverley announced new measures intended to reduce immigration by 300,000 people on Monday after revised government figures increased 2022's net migration statistic to 745,000 in November. Starting in spring 2024, the threshold for a skilled worker visa will increase from £26,200 to £38,700, while the minimum income for a migrant on family visa to be accompanied by a spouse or dependent has also risen to £38,700 from £18,600. Overseas care workers will no longer be eligible to bring family dependents to the UK, the Migration Advisory Committee will be asked to review the graduate student visa and the 20% discount on the minimum salary for work visas and occupations with shortages will also be scrapped. Net migration stood at 672000 in the year to June 2023, with family-related visas more than doubling during the same period to around 76000 Meanwhile, 33% of non-EU residents arrived for work, to study, and 9% for humanitarian reasons. Cleverly stated that the new restrictions would lead to the biggest ever reduction in migration to the UK, as he claimed that there were abuses in the UK's visa system. Though the Conservative Party hasn't outlined a specific number it aims to reach in its migration goals, the party made the issue a key part of its election manifesto in 2019.
1: Thank you, Scott. We'll start this round of spins with a right narrative from The Telegraph. Although there will be shocks to many sectors of the U.K. economy, the government had to do something in light of its recent record-breaking border statistics. Restrictions on the dependence of visa holders, for example, have been long overdue. Cleverly and the Home Office must deliver, with the U.K.'s migration a consistent sticking point for the Tory government.
0: And the left narrative spin from Big Issue. The government's crackdown on visas will only restrict skilled workers from helping those in need. Immigrants must be celebrated for the work they do, rather than vilified, as the Conservative Party continues to depict foreign nationals. The scapegoating must stop or the U.K. will suffer in the long term.
1: That's crazy. I was listening to an American story on migrants uh, from Venezuela, you know, that started last year with DeSantis shipping people to uh, Martha's Vineyard. Mm. Uh, and this story was focused on Colorado and people moving around, you know, just trying to get work. And And they were interviewing a woman uh, who was there with her girlfriend and her children. And, you know, she said, well, my, you know, my goal, it would just be to stop living in my car or under this bridge and to get a job and to support my girlfriend's kids. And right. I just thought, well, yeah. that's pretty. That's uh, pretty humble. <laughs> like, pretty just pre- reasonable. Yeah. And yeah. I was thinking, you can take all of us lazy American jobs who are like, nah, I don't feel like driving to work anymore. This right. is an outrage.
0: I read an article the other day that like the the push to get people in office in on the greater scale is pretty much passed. Like people just aren't doing it. So, I mean, entitlement by one group is just opportunity for another group. Yeah. So that's just the way it goes.
1: A new report says that U.S. and U.K. military contractors created a league for global censorship in 2018. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Substack, Washington Examiner, The Trumpet, and WRGB. CBS 6 Albany. Journalists Michael Schellenberger, Alex Gutentag, and Matt Tybee have claimed to have taken the lid off a sprawling censorship and disinformation operation that works closely alongside various agencies within the U.S. government in a report for the outlet Public at Substack. While such operations are typically conducted by the CIA and NSA and the Department of Defense, it alleged the government partners with the private sector to censor Americans because it knows it doesn't have the legal authority to do it on its own. Schellenberger and Tybee previously worked together on the Twitter files, revealing how former executives at the social media platform now known as X made decisions, such as suppressing certain news stories and blocking various user accounts. They further claimed the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Information Security Agency, or CISA, were involved in these efforts. The new investigation, published on November 28, focuses on an anti-disinformation collective named the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, or CTIL, officially a volunteer project of data scientists and former defense and intelligence officials. According to the reporters, no one from the FBI, CISA, or CTIL responded to requests for comment. However, according to a whistleblower, who provided the investigation with internal CTIL documents, emails, and other forms of communication, CTIL's founder Sarah Jane Turp, a British defense researcher, was in the room at former President Barack Obama's White House in 2017 when she received instructions to create a counter-disinformation project to stop a repeat of 2016. The report published CTIL documents and screen captures from its internal messaging system, suggesting that it worked closely with the FBI, DHS, CISA, Twitter, and Facebook in making moderation decisions. It further alleged that CTIL sought to influence public opinion through counter-messaging, co-opting hashtags, and diluting disfavored narratives, often doing so from fictitious sock-puppet accounts. This comes as Tybee and Schellenberger testified before the U.S. House Select Subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government on Thursday.
0: Thanks, Melissa. We have a pro-establishment narrative from CISA.gov. Foreign governments often use disinformation and influence operations to maliciously undermine the American people's trust in their institutions and elected representatives. These initiatives, such as CISA, simply help the American people understand the risks as well as help them take action to mitigate the associated risks. The government has a responsibility to protect Americans from foreign influence, especially when it's conducted on American soil.
1: Here's the establishment critical narrative from Public. While these agencies claim to be altruistic, they are nothing more than censorship efforts with ties to the highest rungs of government. The documents show that it was CTIL itself that was engaging in disinformation and influence operations via fake accounts. Not only was this un-American, but unconstitutional. This wasn't about protecting against foreign influence, but rather Western governments swaying public opinion in their own countries, away from popular movements and toward the establishment's preferred
0: outcome. Uh, Melissa, fictitious sock puppet account that's what? what
1: i was gonna comment on scott
0: is that what it sounds like or is that some kind of code word for something because i'm in whatever it is I'm... it
1: appeals to me as well i don't know if there was uh you know just something about childhood you know and i'm not talking early childhood i'm talking teen years we're talking trial oh, yeah. the insult dog we're talking syphil right. ollie which probably no one knows what i'm talking about
0: Or how about Mick Foley, Mr. Sacco, Mankind Himself, the wrestler? I'm sure you understand that, Melissa.
1: Absolutely. I'll look that up. Yeah.
0: Math and reading scores plummet in teens. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Business Standard, Reuters, New York Times, and Forbes. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, has documented some of the biggest drops in performance since it began evaluating 15-year-olds' reading, arithmetic, and scientific skills every three years in the year 2000. The study is the most comprehensive international comparison of education achievement closely watched by policymakers. Last year, nearly 700,000 youths in 38 of the OECD's developed country members and 44 non-members took the test. In OECD countries, reading performance decreased by 10 points on average and by 15 points in mathematics compared to when the tests were last conducted in 2018. This represents a loss of 75% of a learning year. While U.S. students' math scores on the 2022 Program for International Student Assessment were down 14 points from the 2018 exam, they managed to score above the OECD average in reading and science. In math, scores fell by 25 points in Germany 27 points in the Netherlands and Poland, and 21 points in France, Sweden, and Portugal. Previously seen as a pioneer in education, Finland experienced one of the worst declines, falling 23 points. Iceland and Norway performed the worst, down 36 and 33 points, respectively. The OECD also suggested that the COVID school closures are only partially to blame for the stark decrease in reading and math proficiency of teenagers across member nations.
1: Thank you, Scott. We'll start with an establishment-critical narrative from Al Jazeera. This is an eye-opener for educators in the West. Something is wrong. Asian students are outperforming the rest of the world, demonstrating years of progress. Students from Singapore top the list and are three to five years ahead of their peers in the U.S. and Europe. In math, Macau, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Japan, and South Korea were near the top, whereas they scored near the top in reading and science. This suggests that deep systemic change is needed in Western education
0: systems. And the New York Times brings us the pro-establishment narrative. These results are a mixed bag, especially for the U.S. The U.S. climbed in the OECD ranking to 28th place out of 37 participating OECD countries, but this was mostly due to other countries' decreases. A lot more work does indeed need to be done to support American education, but this wasn't an entirely catastrophic report especially when the abnormalities of COVID and school closures are factored in. Ah, oh, poor kids. I have to imagine that kids who are 15 now
1: were like 11 or 12 when yeah. when the lockdown started. Yeah, I mean, that just had to be so weird. I mean, that's it was big, weird for everyone, but.
0: That's a big cut out of your regular education. I mean, that's. Yeah, those know, are there's, pivotal there's, years. That's like, there's that's only like 12 algebra, grades. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's
1: only 12 in, in in high school. Yeah, you're you're losing three of those important ones. Ooh, man. I
0: wonder how long it would have been before I personally would have like wished school was open again. I wonder if that, you mm. know, I was, you know, I spent a lot of my school years wishing school closed for that day or hoping for a snow day. I mean, what a dream of, uh,
1: come true. Right. In a way. At,
0: at first, I mean those first couple weeks Apologies to everybody. were probably pretty sweet for these students when they thought it was just like a thing that was going to happen, like a super super snow day, you know? Right. Um. Kids. But then everyone. So.
1: Yeah. And then it uh, and then it just piled up, and it uh, yeah.
0: Well, then you had to so start fun. doing work at home anyway, which is almost more annoying.
1: Like, right. Let's just
0: at least I can go with my friends and do and, and you know now I'm now I'm just sitting at home doing the yeah. same boring work.
1: Yeah. Depending um, on who you were, like I have I have a niece and a nephew who totally split, and one of them. Was like I love this. I'm gonna homeschool, and she didn't go back. And she and she graduated oh, high wow. school, homeschooled, uh, and did great, and got a job <laughs> right out of school working for a software company, and mm. uh, at a high school. And uh, and the other one was wow. like, I hate this. I am so he's very social. He couldn't do theater no. anymore. He couldn't do sports and, and it was just miserable. Right. So and he's super happy to be back into school. But personality yeah, wise.
0: Extracurriculars took a huge hit. Yeah. Like yeah. even to this day, they're probably not back in a normal way. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that was that was pretty rough for social social people. Let's not do it again. I vote mm, no. No,
0: let's try not to. Well, I don't think if it happens again, I don't think it's gonna happen again. I I, I can't imagine. The catastrophe that would have to happen to get the political will to close schools like that again.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it would I, have yeah, to be. Yeah, they'll just be like, "Put your mask so on, okay? We're going back. Have We're going, to going in." Be,
0: if you yeah, mask if you're lucky. I don't think people would wear masks. I mean the the I don't even know. I I can't quite I, I and I without exaggerating, I can't quite imagine what the catastrophe would have to be that would get people to willingly stay home again. Yeah, because if it was. I mean, I think it might have to be so bad that there's, like, no choice. Like, if you open your door, you, you die or something. Like, it would have to be something so beyond the pale that I can't even imagine it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, let's hope that doesn't happen. A Nigerian military drone kills at least 85 civilians. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, France 24, BBC News, The New York Times, The Guardian, and ABC. Nigeria's government stated on Tuesday that one of its military drones mistakenly killed at least 85 civilians who gathered to celebrate a Muslim festival on Sunday night in Tudunbiri village in the northern state of Kaduna, while supposedly targeting terrorists and bandits. The National Emergency Management Agency of Nigeria reported, citing local authorities, that 85 corpses have so far been buried and another 66 have been hospitalized. Emergency officials are negotiating with community leaders to calm tensions to reach the village. An eyewitness told BBC Hausa that there were two airstrikes, with the second bomb allegedly being dropped on people who went to recover dead bodies of the victims of the first explosion. President Bola Ahmed Tenubu ordered a thorough investigation into what he deemed a very unfortunate, disturbing, and painful mishap. Meanwhile, Chief of Army Staff Lieutenant General Reid Lagbaja argued that the aerial patrols mistook their pattern of activities as similar to that of the bandits. Since taking office in May, President Tenubu has increased defense spending to $4 billion, 12% of the budget for this year, after identifying security as a main priority. Nigeria's military frequently carries out airstrikes against Boko Haram jihadists and militant insurgencies in the north of the country. According to the Lagos-based SBM intelligence security firm, airstrikes targeting armed groups of the deadly, decade-long security crisis in northern Nigeria have claimed the lives of about 400 civilians since 2017. Earlier this year, 39 people were reportedly killed in Nasarawa State.
0: Thanks, Melissa, for those sad facts. We have a Narrative A from The Guardian. This is the tenth time Nigeria's military has mistakenly struck civilians instead of the actual enemy. With a record like that, it makes sense that the government shamefully waited a day to inform the public of this debacle. As the government continues its embarrassing practice of failed drone strikes, it has yet to rescue dozens of students and university staff who have been held hostage by militants for 72 days. Until that happens, the least the government can do is immediately compensate the families of the latest victims sent to their graves too soon.
1: Here's Narrative B from the Nigerian military. In its fight against the militants infecting the nation, Nigeria's army has nothing but sympathy for civilians caught in the crossfire. This is why the highest-ranking military officials have visited the area and promised to compensate those impacted by this tragic mistake. However, the need for a military presence in the region remains strong, as it wasn't until the government began its operations in Kaduna that the state was free of terrorism. The government will simultaneously investigate the incident while continuing to fight against insurgents.
0: And a nerd narrative from Metaculus: there's a 10% chance that Nigeria will have a coup before 2025. In Europe, an increase in child pneumonia cases amid the China outbreak. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Independent, The Telegraph, The Messenger, and Euronews. An outbreak of infections that were first noted in China has grown into an uptick of pneumonia cases in children across Europe, with at least six European countries having reportedly seen an increase in cases. China, facing its first winter since COVID restrictions were lifted, has attributed the increase to known pathogens, ruling out a novel virus and reporting that the cause is a combination of illnesses, including influenza, rhinovirus, RSV, adenovirus, and pneumonia bacteria. While the Netherlands is reporting a sharp uptick in cases, Ireland, France, and Denmark have also shown a significant increase in illnesses. The cases have been linked to the mycoplasma pneumoniae bacteria, commonly referred to as walking pneumonia. India, Nepal, Taiwan, Thailand, and other Asian countries have been advised to increase surveillance for the illness. In the Netherlands, the outbreak is being reported as the nation's largest pneumonia outbreak in recent years. In 2022, during influenza season, data showed 60 pneumonia cases occurring in every 100,000 children. Currently, the Netherlands Institute for Health Services Research is reporting 80 cases in every 100,000 children aged 5 to 14. According to an analysis of 24 countries, the most frequent detections of the infection from April to September were found in Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, and Wales. Meanwhile, France and Denmark recently classified the rise as an epidemic, which Danish authorities say usually occurs approximately every four years. In addition to the uptick in cases in Europe and China, the U.S. is also experiencing an increase in pediatric pneumonia cases, As of Wednesday, Ohio has reported 145 cases in children between the ages of 3 and 14. Health officials believe the outbreaks are not related.
1: Thank you, Scott. We'll start with Narrative A from BMJ Global Health. While the world responded to the COVID outbreak, the surveillance of many other respiratory illnesses already on the map, including influenza and the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome coronavirus, was neglected, Mm. allowing the conditions for these recent outbreaks. To combat the spread of these illnesses and to prevent them from becoming epidemic or pandemic, public health agencies worldwide must further integrate surveillance technologies or else risk being left dangerously unprepared yet again.
0: Narrative B comes from the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. While public health certainly learned a hard lesson during the pandemic, many nations have used those failures to advance their health response capabilities. A joint effort between the ECDC and the World Health Organization developed and deployed a platform for countries to use in their transition from unsustainable mass-testing practices to a multivirus-integrated surveillance approach. Through this effort, Europe is already more prepared for not only COVID but other life-threatening pathogens.
1: And there's a nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says there's a 1% chance that a novel pathogen will be identified as being the cause behind the pneumonia cases. Beijing or Liaoning before December 15, 2023. In India, a deadly cyclone Mi Chang causes severe flooding. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Indian Express, Yahoo News, CBS, the Canberra Times, Hindustan Times, and the Associated Press. Cyclone Mi Chang brought torrential rainfall and powerful wind in the southern Indian state of Andhra Pradesh on Tuesday and left at least 17 dead in the neighboring state of Tamil Nadu. More than 32,000 people have been shifted to over 400 relief camps in Tamil Nadu alone, authorities said. Cyclone Mi Chang struck the coasts of Andhra Pradesh as a severe cyclonic storm but later weakened. Officials warned that heavy rains, which have caused flooding in low-lying coastal areas and cut power to communication lines, will continue to batter the state. However, the cyclone will weaken into a depression by Wednesday morning. In Tamil Nadu's capital, Chennai, floodwaters triggered the shutdown of Apple iPhone production at Taiwan's Foxconn and Pegatron facilities. Authorities at Chennai International Airport suspended operations on Monday and canceled 70 flights to and from the city due to severe weather conditions after heavy rains caused the runway to submerge. State authorities have set up a disaster response force, established over 5,000 aid camps along Tamil Nadu's coast, and advised residents to stay indoors until the storm impacts have subsided.
0: Thanks, Melissa. Narrative A comes from the conversation. The cyclones in the Bay of Bengal are becoming more intense, potent, and destructive because of global warming and climate change. Warmer weather allows air to retain more water vapor, which is why the global community must implement policies to cool the global temperature to save lives and billions of dollars in damage.
1: Narrative B is also from the conversation. It's easy to dismiss extreme weather events, including cyclones, as a consequence of climate change. However, in reality, they're usually influenced by a myriad of factors and interrelated processes. More research is needed before establishing any direct causal link between the two.
0: And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. There's a 92% chance there will be at least 2 degrees Celsius of global warming by the year 2100. Hackers access data from 6.9 million 23andMe users. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Time Magazine, BBC News, USA Today, TechCrunch, and CTV. Genetic testing company 23andMe concluded an investigation into an October hack on Tuesday, confirming that cybercriminals gained access to the data of 6.9 million people. The company said hackers accessed the accounts of 0.1% of customers, or around 14,000. But by accessing that data, the hackers were able to gain access to a significant number of files containing profile information about other users' ancestry. The company confirmed hackers accessed 5.5 million users who opted into 23andMe's DNA Relatives feature, which allows customers to automatically share their information with those with common DNA, while 1.4 million other users had their family tree information accessed. The stolen data included usernames, birth years, locations, pictures, addresses, and the percentage of DNA shared with relatives. There's no evidence that any of the data has been purchased or used by criminals. Hackers gained access by using the email and password details that were the same on other unrelated websites previously hacked. CEO of risk management platform CybeSafe, Azalash, said the breach emphasizes the importance of improving cybersecurity behaviors in the general population and the importance of strong passwords and two-factor authentication. The company does not expect a major financial fallout from the incident, but expects to incur $1 million to $2 million in costs related to the breach.
1: Thanks, Scott. Here's a Narrative A spin from TechCrunch. While it's unfortunate that this user data was accessed, the company isn't totally at fault. Users must learn to create stronger, unique passwords for all sites they use. And 23andMe will now require two-factor authentication to prevent further illegal access by bad actors.
0: And narrative B from futurism. Nothing is 100% safe on the internet, even when a company like 23andMe takes the necessary steps to prevent breaches. Cyber criminals are able to access data from other hacks and then use it to access other sites. That's why it's important to consider whether it's worth trusting a private company with something as valuable as your DNA. My mom was telling me the other day that, I'm, that I am likely in the Mayflower Club.
1: Oh, that's... So I
0: couldn't... If you... If you thought I couldn't get any whiter, I've just, <laughs> I've just upped my game. You know, I'm, I'm straight. Nice. You know, yeah. You're so that's OG. It.
1: Uh, I am <laughs> OG oh, I white am person.
0: What? Yeah. <laughs> in case there was any question, you know, in case I sound like I'm not that white, right? Because some of our listeners that
1: maybe not have seen your face.
0: People have been asking, you know. Yeah. But, Scott yeah, is
1: white. What? everyone.
0: I am indeed white. Yep.
1: Thanks for listening to the Verity Podcast for Wednesday, December 6th, 2023.
0: Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ.
1: To learn more about Verity, visit our website, verity.news, or download our app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshir, inviting you to join us next time on Verity.